0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. You know, there's a dynamic that strikes fear into every 10 and 11-year-old at primary school. It's, it's when the teacher has to choose teams for basketball or tunnel ball or any of those sorts of sporting events, Right. You may have been there yourself. You may be recovering from that traumatic experience in which the teacher comes to you and says, you'll go to that one and you'll go to that one and you'll go to that one. And you have ever, ever noticed how the dorky, less coordinated kid always seems to get picked last? And he might go He might go to the other team and and you can see sometimes some kids, when they're not happy with the decision, they roll their eyes and like, oh, I don't want to go with them. Uh. Jonah copped the same experience from God in this story. You see, what is fascinating is that Jonah, Jonah was the only Old Testament prophet that went or was called to a people that were different. He rolled his eyes at God. He says, do I have to go to them? Every other prophet we've heard in this new series called The Calling, We've been seeing the the way that God calls his people to go and do his work in the world. And what is funny in the patterns that we've seen already is that in Abraham and in Moses, God calls them to to go to their own people and that's easy. And yet in this passage, at the heart of this calling, that God was calling Jonah to go to someone who was totally different from him. You see, you probably know the story. God calls Jonah to go and call the wicked city of Nineveh to repent. And Nineveh, they say, was a city that took five days to walk from border to border. It was a big city. It was the LA of the modern world. It was a big city. It was a wicked city. It was a non-believing city. And not only that, there was great racial animosity between the Jews and the Assyrians, which would have been around modern-day Iraq. And it's to those people that God calls Jonah to go into, and he runs away. And so he lands himself in a bit of trouble, right? God sends a storm after him, and he's... He's sleeping on a boat full of non-believers. And in order to calm the storm, Jonah recognizes the error of what he's done. And he offers to throw himself overboard in order to appease God. And here's the irony. The irony is that the very non-believers that Jonah was trying to escape in the first place, he was about to die for. So what's God trying to teach here? What's God trying to teach Jonah? What's he trying to teach us this morning? The first thing he shows us in the story of Jonah is that Jonah ran away from his calling. I can re- relate to this sort of guy. <laughs> I, I, I like this Jonah guy. Verse 3, And the word of the Lord came, came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it. Verse 3, But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You see, what it shows us is we all run from God. In fact, the essence of the Bible, the essence of what sin is in the Bible, is not good deeds or bad deeds, it's not good people versus bad people. The essence of sin says we're all fugitives, we run. We, we, we run away from God. We're spiritual fugitives. And so the first step in Christianity is, in fact, the first step in any relationship with God is to understand that you run away from him. In fact, some of us, even as Christians, to some extent this morning are running away from God. And we're running away from God's calling. It's our nature to run away from God. And unless you're willing to admit that, then you can never really engage in the calling that he has on your life for you. We all run. Why? Uh, Look, at least in Jonah's case, here's Jonah's problem. He lacked a vision of something that was bigger than his own self interest. He's too caught up in his agenda. He was too caught up in his things to do. He's too caught up in his understanding of what God was doing. He's too caught up in his own interests. You know, I think too, maybe this, the sin of this age, of this modern day world, you know, sin in that sense is, is not good deeds versus bad deeds, but it's that we, are, that we don't have a, a mission, a vision, a calling that's bigger than our own self interest. Hero, heroism. Hero, heroism's only possible unless there's a vision. Remember, I always talk about my grandma in the Second World War. She's down there working for the the WAF, the Women's Auxiliary Air Force. And she's there telling me the stories of how she, in the freezing Melbourne weather where her hands are blue, she's peeling potato after potato after potato after potato. And as a young kid, I said, Grandma, why would you do such a thing? And she said, I did it for the Empire. And half of my generation don't even know what that is. They think it's a Star Wars movie. But see, grandma had a vision that was greater than her own self-interest. She had something to live for that was bigger than her own self-interest. And she didn't run from that. And yet Jonah, on the other hand, he had no vision of the ultimate empire, the kingdom of God. And here's what happens when you don't have a vision of the ultimate empire. Here's, Here's the challenge. Here's the risk. There's always going to be a ship waiting for you to carry you in the opposite direction of God's calling. There's the, Tarshish, verse 3, Tarshish. Tarshish, they say, was in modern-day Spain. Nineveh is in modern-day uh, Iran. And so if you go and get out the maps, look up on Google Maps during the message, you'll find that the two are totally in the opposite direction. And it says he goes down there, finds the ship, and away he goes. You know, for you this morning, there are ships sitting in the ports waiting you to take you into the opposite direction of God the minute you walk out of these doors. Heaps of ships. The SS, self-interest. <laughs> or the SS, someone else can do it. <sighs> or the SS, the problem's too big for me to do anything about it. Jonah ran from God and so do we. But now it's not so much that Jonah ran, but it's why Jonah ran. <laughs> many, many, think, many think of this story as Jonah and the what? The while, of course. Loretta, you get a gold star. After the service, we're doing better than the kids' church. <laughs> but that's, that's how we often think of this story, right? It is a kids' church sort of story. It's Jonah and the whale. Jonah goes. He runs away from God. God sends a storm. He gets swallowed by a whale. Lots of cool songs, lots of animated cartoons we could have about this story. But the book of Jonah is about Jonah actually being called to preach to Nineveh, to the Assyrians. And as I said, there was this great racial animosity. They, in fact, they were mortal enemies, And here was the problem for Jonah. He knew God. He was a man of God. He was a prophet. He was one of God's people. And he he knew the stories. He would have known the stories of those old biblical classics like Sodom and Gomorrah. And he would know what God would do to cities that disobeyed him. Jonah knew how God could operate and fix wicked cities, right? He would call down molten lava and smokes of fire upon these people. And and if God wanted to get rid of these filthy pagans, He would. He'd pour down His wrath. He would. He would wipe them out. He would smoke them. And this is this is His real tension. Jonah, in hearing this call from God, begins to think to himself, "Hang on, wait a minute, wait a minute, God. I know how You work. I, I know what You do to wicked cities. I, I know Your standard modus operandi." I, I know how you can fix this, but hang on, God, if you are calling me a preacher, if you're calling me a prophet, your representative into that city, Jonah starts thinking, hang on, he's not going to smoke the city. He's going to save it. And that's why he begins to run. <laughs> because Jonah was not so much afraid of the size of this city. Jonah was not so much afraid of what he was going to say. Jonah was not afraid of failure. Jonah was afraid of success. And the reason that he didn't go the first time into the city of Nineveh is because he was thinking, I don't want to go to these dirty pagan non-believers. I don't want to go into that wicked city. But it's even deeper than that. It's not because he was just being disobedient. It was because, in fact, he gives his heart away. A little bit later on, you've got to read the whole book. It's a fascinating story. And there are two plot lines that we're getting at here this morning. But if you read in chapter 4, verse 3, he actually goes back to the city after the storm and after his sticky little encounter with the whale in the belly. And he preaches repentance and to his shock, they believe in God. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 10 says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, this is the city, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became very angry and he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to tarnish. I knew it. I knew it that you were a gracious God. My gut feel was right. I know how you operate. You smoke people if you don't like them. You withhold your anger if you're going to save them. God, you are slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, get this, what he says. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Why? Because the city of Nineveh has been saved. What the heck is going on in his heart? What, what, what is happening here? He says, I ran because I knew, I knew from the very beginning that you're a gracious God. And what do we learn here? We learn here, what it's showing, the root of Jonah's reasons for running away from God, is not because of fear, not because of lack of courage, not from just a lack of disobedience, not because he just didn't want to. It's something that the Bible calls, at the root of it, self-righteousness. And Paul says you know, in his letters that we try and patch up a self-righteousness of our own, you know, it, do you know what that means? It means that, that here's what it means in practical, everyday terms. It means everyone has to feel superior to someone, or we don't feel good about ourselves. And in Jonah's case, it manifested itself in a particular form of racism. I don't want to go to the Ninevites. That's that's the typic, racism's a typical way that you can feel better than everyone else because, isn't it? In the modern day cultures, every culture teaches you consciously or subconsciously that your race is better than everyone else's it's how you feel good about yourself but self-righteousness it can manifest itself in all sorts of different ways i mean you don't just have to feel superior to other people in order to feel good about yourself you can feel inferior you can use your minority status in society to turn your nose up at the majority you can use your socioeconomic status to look down your nose at those slackers or you can use your socioeconomic status to look up at the snobs. You can use your religion to feel morally superior to everyone else around you. you. You can use your education to look down your nose at those who haven't spent the time and effort to think for once in their life. You can use your brokenness to criticise all the other people around you who just never get you. You see, at, at, at the heart, at the heart, at the end of the day, of why Jonah was running away from his calling, it was because he didn't want God to show grace and compassion to those that were different. It would blow his feeling of superiority right out of the water. It wasn't fair and he could sense it. And so we go, well, how did God, how did God get, try and get through to him? Try and get through to him. Pause on that, try and get through to him, because we're going to see what happens at the end of the book in a second. But God tries to get through to him by teaching him a lesson in the storm. As a side note, is it me or does God always seem to teach you lessons in the storm? God always sends, there's always some sort of storm in your life in which you you finally get it. The storms of crisis in your life in which there's a clarity in which you see God. So God's setting up for Jonah the sort of context that he still teaches us today. And we come back to a subplot that emerges in this story in the most fascinating of of ways. Because before Jonah gets into Nineveh, before Jonah gets into the whale, he's he's there in the middle of this storm. The waves are getting rough. Everyone's on board praying to their various gods to save them. And one of the most intriguing verses in the entire book of Jonah is when this unbelieving captain comes down to Jonah and gives him a smack around the head. Verse 6. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice and we will not perish. You know what he's saying? He's saying to Jonah, I, I, I get it. You're the, you're the only real religious guy on this boat. And if so, then why the heck are you not doing something for us? captain leads us to our points of application this morning as we finish up his, his challenge to Jonah is a challenge that you and me this morning and the challenge is are there aspects of Jonah in you I mean are you willing to reach out to people that are different from you and here's, here's, here's how you can tell whether or not there are aspects of Jonah first one is are you asleep on the boat First of all, this non-believing captain, he's rebuking Jonah for being a man of God who has no idea about the problems that are around him. And Jonah was too absorbed in his own worries. He's, he's, he's probably asleep because he's full of his own grief and he's full of his own self-doubts and he was full of his own gri- guilt. And you know what happens. You know when, when you get so absorbed in your own things that are going on in life, you, you go to sleep, don't you? You go to sleep to the things that are around you And the seriousness and the gravity of what's happening around you, not just in your own life, but in everyone else's. He's being rebuked because he's, he's so distant from the problems of the people around him, he doesn't even know their predicament. Friends, are we asleep on the boat? Are you asleep on the boat? Here's how else we tell whether or not we're like Jonah. Jonah was withholding his faith that was meant for the public good. When Jonah actually does stand up at the story and begins to deal with these people, what happens? They repent. They turn to God and they become believers. And so what it shows us is this, this tremendous power that, that the message of God can have in people's life. And so what that means is that Jonah was rightly rebuked by the captain. He, cap, the captain was in order. The captain comes down and says, how dare you not use your faith to help those that are around you? And is it, is it me or you know, would non-believers, would the world be right in rebuking believers for not using all that we have, all the resources that we have in this place to help the world around us? Friends, we, we have to understand this morning, Northside Community Church, the church, we're the only club in the world, if you want to call it that, that exists for the benefit of non-members and their guests. <clears throat> We're the only club that exists for the benefit of non-members and their guests. And, and that is the great risk for Jonah is that we become so caught up in the things that we do. And we know churches that are like that. I thank God that we're not a church like that. Churches that spend all their time and their resources and their money and their energies fighting each other or fighting over pews or fighting over power struggles. And they're totally oblivious to the world that's around them. Are we using our faith for the public good and the third one is, we know we're like jo- Jonah if we're cynical of the possibility that God can actually change our city. You see, we Christians, are, are, we're a minority in the city of Sydney these days, right? We're a minority and surely Jonah looked at the city of Nineveh, the size of LA, and he thought he was the minority and that the Jews, the people of God, were a minority. And still the Bible is always telling us that the city that we really belong to here is the city of God. And it's a city that will never end. And it's the ultimate city. And Jonah forgot that. And Jonah was so enamored with the power and the glitz and the lights of Hollywood. And all the wickedness that was going down on the Sunset Strip. That he, he, that, a, he never believed that God could possibly change Nineveh. But more importantly, nor did he love the city enough to even want to go in and do anything about it. He, he forgot the ultimacy of the empire, of something bigger than himself, the kingdom of God. He was too taken with the power of Nineveh and the power of his own citizenship as a Jew that he forgot, in fact, that the God is the real God and he's a God that's slow to anger and is a God full of compassion and a God that wants to change the city. And so what we have here is Jonah fleeing because on one hand, he doesn't believe that he can change the city. And on the other hand, at the heart of it, there's no love. He doesn't want God to change the city around him. Are, you, are, we, are we cynical? Are you like Jonah? Are you just as cynical? Are you so intimidated by Sydney and, so just, and just as cynical that you believe that the possibility of change, real change in the city is negligible? That as Christians, we resign ourselves to a minority and we're okay amongst ourselves. But my question is this morning, what about the people in your boat? What about the people in your neighborhoods? And what about the people in your apartment buildings? And what about the people in uh, the mother's groups? And what about the people in your workplace? And what about the people in your families? Are we asleep to them? Do we believe that God can impact them? Do you believe that God can change them? Do you want God to change them? See, Because the subplot... Of all of this, the purpose of the captain, the purpose of the sailors on the boat in the middle of a storm was so that God could take Jonah by the neck and say, you are here for them. (laughs) You exist for them. And in some ways, the purpose of this story is for God to take us by the neck, friends by the power of his Holy Spirit this morning, and to give us a gentle reminder or maybe a strong rebuke if needed, that we exist for them too. We exist for the people, the non-believers in our boats. And so finally, I guess the question is, what will make us run towards a city, our city, Sydney, rather than away from it? What would make us do that? Because you know how these sermons go on calling. You A preacher gets up here and he works himself into a lather and he throws the Bible at you and he says, you must go. And so we all walk out of this place saying, yes, I better go. I've got to help the people in my boat because Sam said, the Bible said, so we must go. <laughs> but Christianity is not a religion that says you must go. Christianity is a religion that says you will go. That is, you, you, you don't go because you have to. You go because you want to. That is, the fact that you go into the boats or the fact that you run into the city is because you want to. That. The, 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 to go to those who are not like you is not a requirement of being a Christian. It's a sign that you're a Christian. And, and it, it, it's that because Christianity so changes your heart that, that you run into the city, not because you have to, but because you want to. And, and here's how it happens. Here's how that engine gets kickstarted. The, the The point is that that Jonah ironically he really wasn't in a position to preach god 's grace to Nineveh. He was never in a position to preach that because at the end of the story, remember I said, "Put your finger there, go to the end of the story. If you know it it's the most remarkable thing at the end of the sto- end of the story. here you have Jonah out in the heat, sulking. He goes outside the city he's in the he's in the middle of the heat, uh, God provides a plant for a bit of shade, and then that dies the next morning. And, and Jonah is filthy. He's still so upset with God. The whole book ends with Jonah filthy at God because he'd saved the city of Nineveh. And that's it. What a great dramatic tension. And I can't half blame poor Jonah because he, he, he lacked one dynamic that you and I have this morning. He lacked uh, the power and the engine room to help him go to those that are different and be joyful about it. Because his story, he didn't realize he was just a forerunner. He was just the prologue to a much bigger story that looked a lot like his. Like, does this story sound familiar? Now, remember the irony of this story? That at the very beginning, that, that the very known believers that Jonah was running away from were the ones that he almost died for. And luckily for Jonah, God intervenes at the last minute, sends a whale, he's rescued, and he doesn't die, but then he wants to die. <laughs> Remember the irony, God sends a whale and there's a last minute rescue. And yet the real irony of the big picture is that there's a story of someone else who didn't have a last minute rescue. And that whilst Jonah ran away from non-believers and almost dies for them, Jesus doesn't run away, he runs toward non-believers. He doesn't almost die, he does die for them. In order to call them to believe in this God of grace who is slow to anger. Guys, the gospel is we're fugitives. We run. That is, that is the gospel. We're always running away from God. And that we too, like Nineveh, in some ways, I know it's, it's, it sounds slack, but it's the truth of the gospel. We're deserving of being wiped out too. God, God could smite us. And yet he, he doesn't just send a prophet. He, he doesn't just send a teacher. He sends his own son to call us back to him and to die for us. And to display the mercy and the grace. And what I find so funny is if Jonah was alive today, he would be so filthy at you and me, it wouldn't be funny. He'd be sitting out in the foyer having a sulk. Because the God we talk about this morning is not a God who's in the business of smiting people for the sake of doing it. He, He is slow to anger. He is full of compassion and mercy. And when you taste mercy like that, you begin to have a heart that changes and wants to reach people who are different from you how because the first step of reaching those that are different from you is to radiate your heart radiate the superiority and the inferiority of your heart with the gospel because the gospel kills both your inferiority and your superiority as martin luther said you're simul justus et peccator that's latin that's the only latin that i know and what what it really means is it means that you're 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 more evil than you dared imagine, but you're more loved than you ever dared believe at exactly the same time. And so friends, as Christians, it's to understand what Luther is saying, that you are saved by God's sheer grace and therefore you have no standing on which to feel superior than the worst of the worst in this world. The gospel kills your superiority. But at the same time, it's to understand that God loves you so much that he didn't just send a prophet, but his own son, not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life to call you back towards God. And that kills your inferiority. And as a result, the gospel makes friends of people in this place, the church who would normally never talk to each other out there in the real world. And so I've got to ask, is, is that, will, will that be true of our church in the long run? Is that dynamic alive? (laughs) Even more scarily from Jonah, are we afraid of failure or are we really afraid of success in this place? Are Are we really afraid of how crazy and radical and different it could look like if the way that God moved in Nineveh is the way that he moves in Sydney, Australia? Do we believe that God can change our city? Can we love our city regardless of the differences? The only way now in this time of ministry will become to radiate, radiate your heart. Get underneath the x-ray machine, radiate your inferiority, radiate your superiority with the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.